This week on The Short Game, we tap to inflate. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show about fitting games into your life. I'm Reagan Kelly. I'm your host. And I'm joined this week by two really special co-hosts. As usual, I've got Nate Heininger. Nate Heininger. Hey, everybody. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Reagan? Ah, You're looking good. I'm I'm really good. It's it's a beautiful sunny day out here in, uh, in Mountain View, California, where I now reside. It's a beautiful, uh, what feels like fall evening here in St. Louis. I don't think it broke 80 degrees today, so it's been a it's been a weird week. And yeah. uh, also joining us via Skype, uh, well, not that this entire show doesn't always happen <laughs> via Skype, uh, but also joining us uh, live over the internet uh, is special guest host Laura Nash. Hello. And to introduce Laura Nash, uh, I've known Laura for many years. Uh, she's a old dear friend, but uh, she's also uniquely qualified to talk a little bit with us today about our topic, uh, which is going to be Leo's fortune, but also iOS gaming in general. Laura has worked in game development a little bit. Uh, she's developed some really interesting little games on iOS and other platforms, which I'll let her tell you about a little bit as we go. Um, but she's also just a really smart cookie with uh, a lot of uh, directing credits around Chicago. And um, she's currently a digital strategist at Littman Hearn developing uh, websites for nonprofits. So uh, how are you doing today, Laura? I'm doing pretty good. We could not be more happy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Excellent. The magic of the internet. It is magical. Before we dig too deeply into, uh, into our topic of the show today, what's new? Um, I'm, I've been doing this, uh, speaking of like computer or video game design, I've been for the last week teaching a summer camp for children. Oh, uh, right, Nate. You told me just a little bit about that, and I haven't yeah, gotten to hear the story yet. It's, uh, it's centered around computer game design. Awesome. And so I myself don't have a whole lot of like programming knowledge. Like I don't know any of the languages. I'm familiar with them and the concept of it, but I don't have that, you know, built-in knowledge, but I was brought on by a friend of mine whose mom is runs this entire summer camp program at a local community college, and they knew that I was somewhat tech-savvy and wanted me to teach the computer game design class. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about that. Fortunately, it's an application called Multimedia Fusion 2. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. It's not a language-based program. It's actually kind of like an object you know, um, logic. Like you set the rules for everything. You drag your character onto the screen and set the gravity, set all the rules for it. Perfect for middle schoolers. And if you get really, really good at the app, you can actually make like uh, addictinggames.com is loaded with games built from this application. Does it output as like flash games or you can? Yeah, it can actually output in a lot of different ways. And it actually 
uh, has a mode for iOS and Android development. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, for, for this, for these purposes, I've kept it much more simple, simple, like let's make a block breaker game and, and pong and things like that. Let's try uh, to do a physics engine game guys. <laughs> yeah, Yay. exactly. Yay. We're doing a 2d puzzler. Um, no, it, it's very, very simple games, but it gives the kids an idea of like, you know, I, what I do every time, this is my second time teaching it is I ask them you know, say, say their name and their favorite game. And it's always, you know, after Minecraft, because that's what all children <laughs> do. Plays. Just take that uh, one off the table right at the start. Which kids. I actually, what have you played other than Minecraft? That's what I said, because last year I said, what's your favorite game? And I have 18 kids. I think 17 of them said Minecraft, and I'm not exaggerating. So this year I said, tell me your favorite game besides Minecraft. And seriously, the entire class went, ugh. One kid even <laughs> one kid even stood up and still said Minecraft. It's like, all right, buddy. Smart ass. Yeah, come on. Uh, so anyway, most of their answers were things like Call of Duty, Battlefield, you know, really, really modern games. And so when they're all done, I'm like, that's great. I like a lot of those games, too. We're not doing anything like that. We're going to go. Everybody go online, and I want you to play Pong for 20 minutes. And we're going to make that, you know, and so I had to get them like back in that mindset. And to them, I'm like ancient, you know, I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, you know, when I was your age, Nintendo 64 was the big one. And they're like, what? Like, oh, my dad had one of those. And I'm like, you're 13. How'd you? Anyway, uh, (laughs) dad. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, So but it's been fun, you know, and I and I make while the kids are working on it, I've been making little silly platformer games and, and actually like the stuff that I, I was trying to make a tower fall clone oh. uh, today. And like, it's, it's pretty, it, it's fun. It's difficult. Cause it's like, Hey, 18 middle school boys click on this drag, drag, uh, drop down box, set this to 18 and then click on this and set it to 12. And about half of them are great. And they're like ahead of me and they have like a side project going where they're working on a separate game alongside the game that I'm working on. And then the other half of them are like spinning in their chairs, punching each other. And so I've got very, very different ranges of uh, of people that I'm working with. But and that is bizarre. Yeah. It, I mean, it's fun. It pays well. So that, <laughs> that's, that's, part of, that's part of why I'm out there. Um, awesome. But it's cool just to kind of see it. From, it really shows how difficult even the most basic game is to make. And this, we're just dragging and dropping items and, and setting the rules for them, let alone if you're building something from scratch. Wild. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Also playing a ton of Towerfall. So. Uh, me too, as much as I can by myself. Single oh. tear rolling down my lonely cheek out here in I've, California. I've got a group kind of going that like every Wednesday night we've been meeting up and playing, playing four player tower fall. And that's awesome. I just got back from and uh, Shane and I recorded a little episode on this, which I have yet to edit. So who knows if or when it will air. But uh, I just got back from um, uh, not just got back from a few days ago. I went to uh, California Extreme and I'm still kind of reeling from it uh california extreme is that uh arcade video game expo that they do out here every year oh yeah and it's uh it's really amazing and i got a chance to play all these amazing old uh, arcade machines from the 80s all kinds of bizarre weird machines um and they really had me thinking a lot about sort of what 
what a lot of bizarre ideas people were just throwing at the wall and seeing what stuck back then. You know, the idea well, yeah. of the platformer hadn't really come around yet. People were still figuring this stuff out. Um, the most standout weird game that I played, which I talked a little bit about in, in the arcade episode that Shane and I recorded, so hopefully I won't be too redundant here, was this game called Snacks and Jackson. <laughs> Snacks and apostrophe and Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. Jackson was was spelled with an X, and it was uh, Jackson DeBox, who was a, uh, a uh, hobo clown character. And the game, you play as as Snackson, whose head detaches from his body and floats around the room, and you use his head like a breakout paddle. Um, in the first moment of the game, he sneezes and his clown nose flies off towards you, and you have to use his head to keep it from bouncing back into the picture window behind him and breaking it. Um, meanwhile, food, like breakfast items, like uh, <laughs> like like um, uh, eggs and bacon, are flying out of the cabinets on both sides of him, and you have to move his floating head around to eat them. Very, very strange game. And it really made me think a lot about, like, we've kind of codified like these are the genres that make sense in certain ways. You know, platformers make sense. Sports games, mostly they make sense. Uh, shooters, got it. Clown games involving floating heads <laughs> controlled with a trackball. What? Where did that go? That didn't quite make it over the hump. Didn't stick. Those things are still cropping up, though. Randomly on iOS, you'll see something like Catball, and the entire game is about like you're a giant floating cat head that's trying to eat things. Like, there's just weird, crazy iOS experiments that pop out of the woodwork. And I feel like they're going back to those days because some guy has no intention of making money on this and is just trying to make some weird thing on his computer. That's totally true. And actually, it really made me, th seeing all those weird arcade machines really made me think a little bit about the huge diversity of games that we have today on, on iOS because there's just so much experimentation and so many people trying bizarre, interesting new things. Um, and the the barrier to entry is so low. You know, in the 80s, all it took to make an arcade game apart from a factory. So, I mean, you know, we are talking about an order of magnitude of, of difference. But, you know, six guys could sit down and program one of these games and, and then, you know, build the machines in their garage and then prototype it and, and get these things out. Um, and that was the scale that the industry was operating at at the time. It wasn't these teams of 80 people with, you know, multi-million dollar budgets. And so they really had a lot more room to kind of experiment. And we are seeing that again on iOS. I've been really, really hooked uh, on a new iOS game that I just discovered last week. And I was hoping to talk to you guys about it. And I think this is might be a good opportunity in this moment. Have you guys played Space Team? I haven't gotten to play that yet. I love Space Team. I adore Space Team. And I it's so good for non-gamers because you're oh just my like, God. I, I made my team at work do it. I was like, yeah. we're going to go into a conference room and we're going to do a team building exercise. And I all went to the whiteboard. I was like, no, 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 no. Good yeah, perfect cover. Out. Perfect I'm, cover for yeah. this. I'm definitely a little late to this game because it came out in 2013 and won a ton of 2013 indie game awards and whatnot. But it was only recently shown to me. It was actually I played a show last Friday night, and one of the guys in my band while we were waiting. There's a lot of downtime. Uh, you get there early, set up, and then just sit around for like three hours. So he showed me Space Team, and I've never. I I can't think of. It, it, for sure on iOS, but I can't think of any other real game that I've played that I've been screaming with such like 
veracity for like <laughs> help <laughs> like please do what i'm asking because do you know how it do you do you know how it works yes but go ahead and describe it for the yeah. listeners so first of all it's the only local co-op ios and it's on android as well but only local mobile game that i've ever played other than like settlers of Catan, but you can do that online this requires you to be essentially like next to the people that you're playing with and it's two to four players and each player has on their screen a set of randomized controls and my set of controls will be different than your set of controls and they'll be different than the other person on the team set of controls and we know the maximum number of players four four okay yep and each person also simultaneous simultaneously will get a command a prompt on their screen that tells them to do something. And they may be able to do that with the knobs and buttons and levers on their screen, but most likely it's on someone else's screen. And so you have to shout out, especially if you're with like three or four people because you don't know what everyone has. You have to scream for someone to do that command. And there's a very big noticeable bar that acts as a timer that scrolls right across the middle and it goes from green to orange to the terrifying red. And if you don't get that done, (laughs) your spaceship shakes a little bit and stuff starts breaking and it falls closer to the impending doom behind it. And the, the key aspect of this game to me is the humor is spot on. They thought about everything. It's absolutely hilarious. And the thing is also when you miss, um, it becomes harder and harder to play the game because your screen gets cracked. Things start falling off your console. (laughs) You have to like, hook things back onto your console in order to start working your controls. Um, Occasionally, things will slime your screen and you have to swipe it off. Everyone on the screen will have to shake their device. Yeah, because an asteroid. Because an asteroid's coming by. Um, It's hilarious. And actually, this guy just, um, the developer, um, I just looked him up, Henry Smith. Um, Yeah, I was just about to mention he had a Kickstarter campaign. He just just finished it. Um, He made it. His Admirals Club, which was basically that you would fund another free game because he thinks there's no point in doing co-op games that aren't free because you need a lot of people to quickly download it and join in. So he wants to keep doing it. He just did an Admirals Club, and there's things like he's made it so that um, text in the game is dynamic, so you can put your own um, names for different buttons on the console. Oh, that's awesome. And upload it to your game. So um, that's the word I got. So my friends are going to have... Of course, yeah. this puts a lot of pressure on me to be creative, but I'm Space Team is amazing, and it's one of those games that cross over to non gamers because they just think yeah, it's, you just it's a toy. And press the button, them. yeah. <laughs> and and you're talking about the names. I just have to read some of them. Oh, they're so uh, good. So some of them are like really good, just f- like fake tech noise. You know, like like turn on the repulsion locator or activate the shock crane. But then some of them will be like. You have a big button on your screen that says Mega Nipple. And, <laughs> and then someone will get a command that's like, grind the Mega Nipple. So then, so then I'm staring at my phone screaming, grind the Mega Nipple. Please, somebody, dear please. God, please grind the Mega Nipple. And or I'm, we could all die. <laughs> exactly. They'll like, rotate the Lamba node. And like these things that don't make any sense. And then there'll be really simple ones like, It'll be like the laundry, and then the button will say take out. 
So someone's <laughs> screaming, take out the laundry, fold the towels, infuse the tea. And it's all, it all sounds so dramatic because you're screaming at each other to do these either absurd or simple tasks. Oh, it's, that sounds like such fun. I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, although I have it installed on my phone and I have still not gotten a chance to actually run it. I just become this really crazy, like I speak extremely quickly and I speak extremely calmly and i get very anxious and i'm like, the other way around i'm like it no sounds good. like uh sounds like uh stage manager or uh, or director laura comes out <laughs> stage manager laura comes out and i say commands very quickly and very calmly and very forcefully and it is um hopefully still fun for people who play with me well you and <laughs> you'll be like screaming grind the mega nipple like someone please grind the mega nipple then you're like oh i have the mega nipple and then <laughs> right. and then you grind the mega nipple my yourself. version of that would be like grind the grind the mega nipple grind 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 it grind it <laughs> just, and it just gets no, really no, no 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 oh I, no 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 so yeah. i highly recommend to anybody uh get a and i've done it. two people is is fun uh three people's fun four people's fun it, four people is is mania but it's just as much fun with two people. So give it a shot. And it's free, like Laura said. Space team. You're on a space team. Get ready for the space team. Yay! Yeah. Let's, let's go on a space team, guys. Beam up to the ship. Take off. Maybe we can complete some instructions. Got a dial here. I think it's set to four right now. Should I change it? What does this button do? Guys, do you want me to press this button? Prepare subdermal chime. Unlock quantum smoker. Salt laundry. Set carbon ambushackle to full power. Fasten seatbelts. Horn coupling. Asteroid. Everybody shake. We gathered together today to discuss a game, Leo's Fortune, that was uh, a winner of an Apple Design Award uh, in 2014, but we managed to miss it in our Apple Design Award episode. We had our episode where we discussed uh, all the winners of the Apple Design Awards uh, this year, but we we overlooked Leo's Fortune mainly just because I think of all the games on the list, it was the most conventional. And so I kind of ended up putting it at the bottom of my list in terms of uh, wanting to make sure that I got a chance to play all of these games. Um, so uh, I had already played threes. I was super excited to check out Simogo's device six because it was so weird. Um, I was excited to, uh, to check out. Um, Black. Oh, uh, I was super excited to check out Black. Monument Valley. Monument Valley, of course. Oh, my God. And I had been hearing so much about Monument Valley because it really kind of caught the little corner of the Internet that I happened to lurk in completely by storm. Everybody was talking about Monument Valley uh, for a little while. But you made that sound like such a terrifying corner. But any corner that is discussing Monument Valley, it sounds like a really... Uh, it's a rough corner it? of the internet. <laughs> yeah, you know, sounds, sounds the, pretty tough. The Twitter of uh, uh, gaming and Apple nerds. <laughs> but uh, Leo's Fortune didn't really come up on my radar quite so much, and I think it is because while it's a um, really gorgeous game, it's also a little more conventional in its presentation. But it is the presentation 
that it's the it's the quality of that presentation. It's just a game that really shines on quality. Um, Laura is joining us here today to uh, chat with us about the game. I know you've played the game, Laura, and I have. And Nate, I believe you've also gotten a chance to check it out since our mm-hmm. Apple Design Award episode went out. Well, let's just start a little bit with uh, talking about describing the game for some of our listeners who might not have gotten a chance to play it yet. Sure, I'll take a stab at it. Um, so I downloaded Leo's Fortune and very quickly raced through it. Um, it's a puzzle platformer um, where the puzzles are easy, but you die an awful lot. Or at least I did. Um, it's very easy to die, but um, it doesn't reset you at the beginning of the level. Um, you no. play a little mustachioed blob named Leo who speaks with a delightful or absurd, depending on your uh, your take, Russian accent. And uh, you can choose your controls. I went with the standard touch controls that they have with it, which um, you take your left thumb and swipe right and left to move. And you use your right, fun, your right thumb to flick up or down to inflate or deflate the blob. So um, you don't necessarily jump. You kind of hop into the air and then float your way down. It actually is a pretty precise control system considering there's only two things you can do. Um, You are tasked with finding your gold, which someone has stolen. So they actually try to build a story around your little coins (laughs) you're collecting. Um, Someone has stolen your gold. You leave your wife a note on the kitchen table basically saying, got to go find my gold. And then you race off collecting coins. Um, you can get achievements for the levels for collecting all the coins, for never dying. Which, who manages that one? I have no idea. Um, or getting through within a certain time limit. So I have mostly one stars, very few two-star ratings on this game. Same here. And, yeah, same for me. Yeah, um, the the some of the most fun stuff about this game was definitely the just the story though i mean it's not necessarily it's not necessarily like an inventive story as far as like what's happening but the characters are so silly and it's like the accent is the perfect i think it's a perfect caricature type accent and he speaks in that really silly like it's not broken it's like a combination of like old-timey english and a little kind of like broken english really vaguely ethnic you said russian but i think it's almost hard to pin it down i i think he kind of reminds me of uh the most um oh geez the most interesting man thank you the most interesting man (laughs) uh, a little bit but accented harsher yeah harsher language but it's that it definitely has that like machismo aspect to it where he's just like i'm a really really smart and intelligent and like tough guy i'm gonna go find my gold don't worry i'll be home by supper because that's like what the note says yeah and he speaks like he speaks like a guy with a mustache and that's what i find really delightful (laughs) and it's the little i mean sound design is one of the things that i loved about this game i mean there's little tiny details like when you move through different environments you make a different sound when you land depending on if you're on snow or grass or stone and the other thing is that the um again i said you die a lot but the um leo your main character um, always comments on how you're doing. When you die, he has a little somewhat disappointed grunt. But there's maybe 16, 17 different sound effects when you die. Um, there's When you get through a particular rough patch, he'll be like, that was easy. They must have had a really good sort of Foley sound type artist on this game because it really did have some excellent sound effects. I remember specifically making a note about 
there's some ball rolling puzzles where you have to move some steel balls through some pipes and things like that. And they make these really excellent noises. And this is a game that I would really recommend playing with headphones on. Uh, and actually, a lot of iOS games recently have started kind of putting a notice up on the screen uh, when you first start the game that encourages you to put on headphones. This game didn't do that, but I'm almost starting to get to the point where I think we ought to just assume that. I'm almost kind of tired of games telling me that you should wear headphones for this game. I think when you're playing an iOS game, if you care about the quality of the game, you should probably be wearing headphones. Um, iOS devices just have speakers that just aren't quite up to snuff. Yeah, if it's feasible, I try to wear headphones when playing as many games as possible. I remember playing um, Skyrim, which I know is totally the end of this uh, of this podcast, but the first time I played it wearing headphones, it just changes the whole thing. When you can be like immersed in it like that, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a definitely an enjoyable experience. And this game really shows off to me the, the reason why it won a design award. Mm-hmm. Because I don't really think it was... Gameplay wise, it was all right. It's it good, was, but I wouldn't call yeah. it innovative. It's yeah, and it was I, it was fun, but it wasn't as fun as some other games I've played. But what kept me playing it is all these other things. The total package, the colors are rich, and and it's a really unique. It's not like two D, but three D at the same time, where you've got a lot of different layers going on. It, a really pretty game, great sound design, really funny. The satis- the noises he makes when he lands are very satisfying. Yeah, the there art are, has this sort of 2.5D kind of feel to it. Most most yeah. everything that really matters is two-dimensional, but a lot of the surrounding stuff has a kind of a three-dimensional look. And it looks kind of like the... Every, every square inch of the backgrounds is full of detail. It looks kind of like it's composited out of uh, photos or maybe 3D renderings, and they just sort of, they just poured a lot of detail. And it, it seems like it rarely repeats. Lots of uh, really, really high-definition uh, graphics went into the backgrounds and the platforms that you're standing on, that kind of thing. Did you ever happen to play the Donkey Kong games on the Wii the, the newer side-scrolling Donkey Kong games? No, I never I got did. a chance. Yeah, I played a lot of packs. Of so yeah, yeah, they it has the same um, the layers, and they they recently came out with a Rube Goldberg trailer that got like a million views on YouTube. Oh, I saw that. And that the the making of the trailer hinted at some of the, you know it, it does have that collage aspect to the design where there's lots of little hidden details, and the only thing that's sketched are um, the little tutorials when they're you know. There's a death skull that's like, just FYI, if you float up past this point, you're going to die. <laughs> just paint it in the sky. Yeah. Um, but um, the story reminded me a little bit of things like Little Inferno. I don't know if you guys played that. It's been on my list for so long, and I still haven't yeah, gotten a chance. I have not played that. It's those games that are satisfying on their own, but then they're, they try to add another layer mm-hmm. of meaning to it. Um, sometimes you die is the same I don't know if you've played that either. Great. We'll put them in the show notes. People can check those out. Yeah. No, I, uh, Little Inferno is one that's, uh, it's been in a ton of Steam sales. And so I picked it up yeah. in some kind of a bundle at some point. And um, I remember that when I, uh, 
when I was beginning this podcast, I asked on Reddit a couple of questions, kind of trying to to gather some ideas. And one was I asked, like, you know, here's I put up the, my enormous Steam backlog and a Reddit question, and I said, of these, what are the games with the best story? And, you know, I got the typical answers like, oh, you should play the Walking Dead games or, oh, you should play, you know, um, the Bioshock games, that kind of thing. Um, and I was like, those are all great. But somebody else on there said you should play Little Inferno. And I was like, that's strange. I kind of forgot I owned that. It came in some kind of a bundle or something. Um, what that game's all about. And um, the then I so I asked a follow up question. I was like, well, what what's little inferno all about and he says oh it's a game about burning things in a fireplace yeah the story part is actually a spoiler so but it has the same rhythm as leo's fortune where you'll you'll play a little bit and then it will give you a piece of story and you'll play a little bit more and they dole it out very nicely um yes little inferno is a game about burning things in a fireplace but it you gather objects that tell a story you get notes you get little glimpses you get commercials from from a corporation um, Tomorrow Corp, I believe it's called. Um, but it's that, uh, the game experience on its own is very nice, but if you pay attention to the story, you might get something extra. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a point of trying that game soon. It's, it's been on my, it's actually installed on my laptop right now and I haven't gotten a chance to boot it up because, uh, you know, I live this fascinating life full of all kinds of exciting things and yes. uh yeah, nope, yeah. little inferno is also one of the most <laughs> hilarious games i've ever played because I'm looking at it right now the achievements are burning things together yeah you burn two things together and then they give you an achievement that's usually a joke on the two things you've decided to burn weird. everything burns yeah it's great that's that's yeah. super weird it's super weird and it's also very satisfying to set things on fire well yeah absolutely as all uh you know former boy scouts know um Mm. burning things is is one of the most exciting pastimes you can possibly dedicate yourself to Um, actually i'm surprised leo's fortune does not have a fire level it it has most of the captain planet elements there's the air the water there's no fire level yeah there's a snow level there's an underwater for the most part level did you guys know that there's a boy scout uh merit badge for game design now yes I did not. I learned that this week. I've got uh, one of the fathers kind of s- trying to strong arm me into uh, making our curriculum bend around the things that would result in this kid earning his game design badge. Scout dads are always like that. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, I didn't have a scout dad, but unfortunately, that meant that I was too lazy and never made it all the way to Eagle. Yeah. Sad. Well, the back to Leo's fortune, I think it talking too much about the story could possibly be construed as a spoiler. Um, but I will say that uh, the story was fun. The characters were cute, but it also the story was really just there to draw you from one level to the next. It uh, it gave you a reason to keep moving. Uh, and there were 20 excellent levels. And uh, then the experience was over. And I think that it really uh, was a great little game that you know, like the games that we like to feature on this show, it can fit into any schedule. Um, so I think it's a great example of of that style. Did you guys play either of the bonus levels? I actually haven't beaten the very last level yet. <laughs> so, so I um I, I it got it got noticeably harder for me at least in the very final levels. And so uh, I was playing it on my iPad and um, looking right now. I am 
about halfway through level 20 right now. So uh, if there are bonus levels, spoilers, uh, no, I, I have not gotten to those yet. Hopefully I will soon. They're the ones that unlock if you get X amounts of stars per zone. I only unlocked two of them. Oh, well, then I definitely didn't do that because okay. I, am, I am not I am rubbish at that. Were they worth uh, were they worth trying for? Well, I've only unlocked two of them. Um, one was a carnival ride where you are attempting to go through a roller coaster as quickly as you can, as many loops in this roller coaster oh, as you can. that sounds cool. Um, apparently, you're supposed to get three full loops to get an achievement. I can't do more than 1.6, oh. <laughs> but it's really fun to zoom around that obstacle course. Um, and then uh, the second one's it's, it's kind of time trial-like, mm-hmm. and I have not unlocked the third because I'm not good enough. I will say about the speed of that, like with the loops and things that, that I think the game is at its best when you really get Leo kind of moving. Um, it, it has some good puzzles, but I never found the puzzles to be particularly clever or, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're nice. They're pretty good puzzles, but, um, where this game really shined for me was in the moments where you kind of got really like up to Sonic the Hedgehog speeds and got to kind of go through loops and try and do precise jumps while you're trying to grab coins. Um, and that was what was interesting for me was that I wouldn't have thought that that style of gameplay works uh, for uh, on a, on a touchscreen. Um, I always have trouble with platformers on iOS, uh, but what I think this game did that made that work for me was that it kind it, you you always hear people criticize platformers as having floaty controls, but this was a game where they really just sort of embraced the nature of that. You know, this is a game with floaty controls, and it's got a floaty protagonist. He sort of floats. You literally float. (laughs) Yeah, and Mm -hmm. when you press left or right, it's not a precise snap movement. It's more of a suggestion, and Leo will tend to float that direction. I think because that they really designed the game around the sort of limitations of not having Twitch friendly, you know, precise controls, they made something that really plays well on the platform. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Sonic. Uh, I don't know when it came out, but they have uh, like a Sonic pack now on iOS where mm-hmm. you can actually play the original Sonics in their entirety. And I'm a huge fan of Sonic. That was I had a Sega Genesis when I was a uh, child, so you know that was that was my go-to set of games was uh, Sonic one. So I've been playing it and. It's kind of difficult. I've gotten better at it, but it is hard. Like Sonic, you know, it's definitely about speed, but when you've got to be going real fast and, and bouncing in between spikes and whatnot or hitting a guy just right, it's hard. And I've never been a big fan of the, like, two digital joysticks. And so no. what's, what's nice about Leo's Fortune is just, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, the screen is cut in half. There's nothing like showing you that it's gotten half, but basically the entire left side of it, if you swipe left or swipe left, right, that's how you move. And if you swipe up or down on the right side, that's how you go up. So you don't even have to have your thumbs in a particular spot as long as you're in the ballpark. Whereas this, I'm going real fast and I have to get my thumb like exactly to the joystick and put it the exact direction I want. It can be tricky, which is why, like Reagan said, I've never been a fan of platformers on iOS games. But yeah, this definitely works. I think it kind of, uses the platform in a way that that makes sense you know you don't have those precise controls um but i think it draws on inspirations of other sort of platformers that have had some success like it, it really reminded me a lot of badland um which i wrote is, that down too mm-hmm. yeah 
Badland is another uh, iOS game that has sort of a floaty protagonist, also mostly spherical. <laughs> and uh, you're moving through a uh, through a platform style platformer style level, but uh, just a very different take. It's not the precise twitchy controls of your typical platformer. It's got a kind of a of Flappy Bird meets uh, meets the platform genre kind of feel and really a great game worth playing on any platform. It also kind of reminded me a little bit, mostly visually, but also a little bit, I guess, in gameplay of probably what I think is the first truly great iOS game, uh, which would be uh, Rolando. Mm -hmm. Do either of you guys remember playing Rolando back in the early days of the App Store? Yeah, I came in around the time of Rolando 2. Ah, yeah. Yes, that's when I, I jumped on the Rolando train or the rolled on. Another spherical guy. Little circle characters do very well on iOS, apparently. Yeah. Rolando managed to work around the lack of controls by essentially having you tilt your device and it would tilt the world and your spherical character would roll around in it. Um, And usually you'd be controlling a whole bunch of different spheres of different sizes and rolling them around the level. And um, that's a game that when it first came out, I really thought this is the Mario moment of the iPhone. This is going to be the, you know, the game that defines the platform. And it didn't really end up working out that way. And I think we're still, we're still lacking that. I think the closest you could really have would be Angry Birds. But yep, that's what I was going to say. Angry Birds is totally the, if you're going to use that phrase, the Mario of, of iPhone or of, of mobile gaming. Angry Birds is at this point as, huge as far as like when you're just walking around in your daily life you probably actually see more angry bird stuff than you see mario stuff right well did either of you guys play seuss uh s-o-o-s-i-z i I think is how you spell it seuss no it was a um it's a great little platformer where you're switching gravity constantly you're running around um and you're jumping from planet to planet and the device is the world is tilting. You're not necessarily tilting, but as you're jumping, everything is constantly shifting um, perspective. It's one of my favorites, and that's actually why I didn't finish Rolando 2 was because I was playing Seuss, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to play one dude walking around who's shaped like a ball game, and it's going to be this excellent gravity platformer. Interesting. I played a game called, I think it was Astronut. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which it looks, oh, no, I, I just looked up Seuss's. And it looks. Uh, Spell that. S O O S I Z. Yeah. Yeah, it's no points for spelling, for because I, I every time I try to explain it to someone, they're like, "Okay, how do I choose?" Wow, requires iOS three or later. So definitely. Yeah, it probably hasn't been updated in a while. Hey, it says it has Retina. Uh, updated for Retina, it's Retina optimized in mm. 2011. So, very good. Maybe it'll work. Well, that actually kind of leads me into a into something I kind of wanted to ask you guys about because I come at iOS gaming from the perspective of a big, big fan of handheld games in general, and specifically, I'm ridiculously obsessed with the Game Boy Advance. Uh, I've got a collection of games. I I'll sh- I, I'm not even going to talk about it. Maybe an episode on the Game Boy Advance someday where none of you guys have to show up. I'll just talk into a microphone for four and a half hours about it. But I think that 
iOS has its own sort of unique strengths as a gaming platform, but also a lot of real weaknesses. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what those are and where we think iOS is in terms of being a gaming platform and where it's headed in the future. Um, so first off, I mean, as far as how, as far as the games that you play, like what percentage of time do you spend on iOS? I'm the anomaly here, I think. Um, because I honestly, um, I'd say it's close to 80%. Wow. Because, um, well, I, so I don't I think you're up, alone there. Tons of people play a lot of no, games no, on, on iOS this, for sure. But, but with the, the three of us though, mm-hmm. um, I, um, was not allowed to play video games as a child, but for some reason the Game Boy was excluded from that. You know, when I played other games, it would be usually, you know, Mario on an emulator on my computer late at night. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when I became an adult, suddenly I could play a lot of the console games, but they do require some certain proficiency. And so I, I end up going back and playing Harvest Moon more likely than playing, you know, Call of Duty. So that's the kind of gamer I am. Oh, so yeah. iOS Nate's is a big a really, Harvest Moon guy. I like Harvest Moon very much. Um, we actually yeah. we're actually planning an episode in the near future. Um, Shane really wants to do an episode on just games that people play to relax. And one of the big ones for him is Harvest Moon. So we're probably going to be talking about that soon. Lovely. Well, it's a great game. Yeah. But so now that I'm an adult, I, I probably have even less time than when I was trying to sneak games on the Game Boy. And I think, you know, I don't have a great um computer for playing games. I have a console, but it's also the communal TV. And I end up playing a lot of games by myself. So the iOS is always with me and I sneak games. Like I have a long commute Mm. and I play so many games on the L. Um, There's the standing games, the games (laughs) you can play one handed, like so important. Yeah. There's a lot of games you can play one handed on the device. And so you can stand on a really crowded subway car and be just fine. And then there's the ones that, you know, you have 45 minutes because you're trying to get to the other side of town. Um, I play plenty at home. Like, I'm playing right now Waking Mars, and it's wonderful. Um, it's really immersive and atmospheric. I've but heard that's really a good game things I can't about that game. touch on transport because I need to peer it. I need to sit and do it for an hour. Hmm. So, And which was, uh, which was Leo's fortune for you? Um, that one I did in, like, 15 minute spurts on the L and a couple breaks at work. I, mm-hmm. I finished it at home cause I was enjoying it a lot. Um, but I think Leo's fortune is nice. The early levels you could fit in, but as I proceeded in the game, I started taking 30 minutes to get through levels and I really hate getting interrupted mid experience. I will say though, that probably one of the biggest strengths of iOS as a gaming platform is the ability to be interrupted. That's something mm-hmm. that every time I play games on any other platform, I wish they had iOS's sort of persistent state where you can instantly close anything that you're doing and then resume it later. And assuming nothing goes wrong, usually pick up exactly where you left off almost immediately. Uh, and God, what I wouldn't give for most console and PC games to behave the same way. And it, if you start switching back, you get really, really frustrated. I think as far as strengths of the platform, um, that's a big one for me, just being able to uh, pick it up and put it down 
instantaneously. And that's probably the the main reason that there's sometimes where I choose to play games on iOS that also have maybe even better versions on other platforms, um, puzzle games and things like that. But um, and even sometimes Game Boy Advance stuff, there's a pretty decent Game Boy Advance emulator for iOS. And even though I, I vastly prefer playing on an actual Game Boy, I'll still play on the uh, iOS uh, GBA for iOS. Great. I'll put a link in the show notes. Great little emulator actually works surprisingly well, even on non jailbroken devices. And uh, I'm still playing through um, uh, Final Fantasy six or the, you know, the GBA port of Final Fantasy six on my iPhone, even though I own a physical copy of the game. Just because that way I can instantly stop the game and instantly resume it at any time, and I can play it on my phone in you know quick breaks in between things. So huge benefit. I played the first and second Final Fantasies on my phone, which are just in the App Store, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. I have to say, I probably fill the shoes of what most people are with iOS games, which is I honestly don't play a ton of them very heavily. I'm more the oh, what's the pop, you know, I play, I've probably played most of the popular games, but I play it for like, you know, 10 minutes and either I really, really like it or I'm never opening it again. I very rarely am buying many games because I, I play a lot of games on my computer and I've got a mm-hmm. PlayStation 4 and I just feel a lot more, I don't know, those games appeal to me more. I'm a big fan of the iOS games that do it well and will super commit to them, but I'm not very often like digging through looking for them. You know, like all these Apple Design Award games really did kind of open my eyes to to what's capable on the iPhone. Because for the most part, I had really only played, you know, the really popular puzzle games because I always like a puzzle game. I'd played some roguelike games because I love roguelikes. But these like iPhone games as beautiful games is a totally new thing to me. I think actually that speaks to one of the biggest downsides of ios as a platform Uh, and that's i think that i look at the ios gaming marketplace today as kind of a lot like the gaming marketplace of like the atari in the 1980s you know there are some amazing gems there but there's also it's there there's it's an absolutely no gatekeeper uh no barrier to entry market where anybody can create a game and that means that there's there's no basic level of quality that you can expect. And because of that, the vast majority of the games on the App Store are just crap. I'd say 90% of the games on the App Store are not worth your time, let alone your money. And I think that that means that it's it puts a lot of uncertainty into players and it also so it sort of brings the value of the entire experience down for me anyway um and also it 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 makes the really great stuff hard to discover so you can't expect a game player to open the app store and find the right game when it's being buried by shovelware and i don't know how to solve that problem i don't know that there is either i I mean mean, they try to do the rankings and those do okay generally speaking if something has like several thousand five-star reviews it can be it'll probably be okay but even still a lot of companies pay for five-star reviews and mm-hmm. and give you perks and bonuses for reviewing their game well so it's i rely pretty heavily on touch arcade reviews and also a few people who i knew from uh you know who work at PopCap and things like that following people who are building good apps and what they're recommending mm-hmm. um the ecosystem like 
App Store is a huge discovery problem. You see it for normal apps as well, but the game design market is, you know, there's so many clones, there's so much shovelware, and there's a lot of games that um, people will praise because they're pretty, but the mechanic is really flawed. Or the other way around, too. Or the other way. The mechanic's good, and then it's there's no craft. I'm more willing to tolerate an ugly game that plays well than a, than a pretty game that doesn't play well, but even then... It's it's rare that we get a game that does both so brilliantly. That's one of the reasons that I thought Monument Valley Valley was such an achievement is that it had a great gameplay and you know clever puzzles and that played in a way that I hadn't seen before. But it was also a gorgeous experience. I think part of the problem, well, it's actually a thing that I love about it, but it it is a problem for discoverability. Is what gets a lot of attention are these ports of older games like Another World or Knights of the Old Republic, or Bastion, or Machinarium, or, um, you know, Seventh Guest, all these games that are, that came out first on other platforms and have been ported. And if they're a good port, people go crazy over them and get a ton of reviews, but it makes it harder for things that are crafted for the platform to really stand out. That's a really excellent point that hadn't occurred to me, because I, I think you're right. Uh, I think that it, it's a prestige thing to have, you know, a, gr- a, a port of a Final Fantasy game on your platform mm-hmm. or a port of Myst. I remember that when Myst first came out for the iPhone and it was probably like the iOS four days, I was like, I can't believe that I can play Myst on my phone. But you know what? Myst on my phone was not a good experience. Like I certainly didn't beat it. It was it was tough. Um, well, I don't know. I'm sure lots of people enjoyed it, but I, I, I didn't find it to be a great experience because I, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, immersive. It didn't, didn't work right for me. I don't know. That hadn't occurred to me, but I think you're absolutely right. I think maybe the, the focus in reviews and, and press on, uh, ports of games from other platforms might be kind of drawing attention to the wrong things. I mean, sometimes they're great ports. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the point and click does suit iOS very nicely. You know, um, Telltale Games has some games. Like Walking Dead is just as fun on your iPad as it on computer. If it plays, it doesn't. It kind of chugs along on the <laughs> iPad Mini and cries. Um, but you know, you get World of Goo. You get the same things on other platforms, and it. That's what ninety percent of people are reviewing. Mm-hmm. So it gets really hard to find the little unique experiences. That's a really good point. But it's also really easy to, if you're writing reviews, it's easy to look at that and say, well, this is a popular game from other platforms that already has buzz. And if I write about this game, people are going to read that review. Whereas it, it's much harder to sift through all those other you know, unique experiences, 90% of which are going to disappoint and find the things that are going to be interesting to your readers and to, you know, that you're going to be able to, uh, you know, write an interesting review about. Yep. And you got to get people to click those links. So that's true. I'm, you know, 80% through ghost trick, which is a <laughs> DS game that they ported pretty nicely. Um, although it's, it's very clearly a, uh, something that they have scaled up. Mm. But other than that, it's quite nice. I played ghost trick on the, uh, on the DS. That was a pretty cool game. I forgot that there was an iOS port of that. Huh? Touchscreen gaming. Nintendo did mm-hmm. it first, but iOS does it better.
So that actually is another one of the strengths of the platform. I'd say that the big strengths, kind of breaking it down, would be that it's quick to discover games if you can discover them. Um, it's quick to download and try them. It's really easy to jump into a game and, and get started. And uh, and then the persistent state makes it easy to jump in and out of those games. And also the, the fact that your games, something that's really unique about iOS the platform is that it has a persistent network connection. Uh, unlike practically any other thing that you might play games on, except maybe a, a PC, um, it's almost always going to be connected to the internet. And that means that it's opened up whole new genres of games that you just haven't seen on other platforms. There, there was never, despite the fact that it has Wi-Fi, no one ever made words for uh, w- uh, words with friends on the Nintendo DS. Well, it- I'm sorry. I think the key element there, though, is not only is it always connected to the internet; it's always with you. Yes. You don't That's carry the. the you don't carry the DS everywhere you go, or else someone well, probably would have. Yeah, I don't. Um, but even if. You are. Most people aren't, you know. So <laughs> I can like I can get grandma to download Words with Friends and she can probably, you know, grandma at Scrabble, you know, and she can figure it out. Yeah, it's like so, the Chris Jarvis uh, quote about cameras, you know, the best the be- perhaps the best uh, game machine is the one that you have with you. Exactly. So you combine those two things and the invention of the what's what do you call it? The asynchronous Multiplayer, yeah. Yeah, asynchronous multiplayer has blossomed. Before, it kind of existed on on computer games. But now, that's probably the most popular genre of video games right now. When you, But it's the most popular genre of video games that no one will ever talk about as being the most popular genre. Because everybody with a smartphone plays these games to some degree. Everybody's like, oh, I got a game of word with fr- Words with Friends or any of the other words with or with friends games or all or any of the games, games that and that words with friends didn't originate that but it really popularized it and now if you explain to somebody it has multiplayer that works like <laughs> words with friends people instantly get that so ios did an amazing job of popularizing that idea those are most often the games that are like the buzz game that everybody plays for like a week like you know in in a matter of one week i'll have like 15 games of draw something going and then after two days half the people have stopped playing there's like one person who's die hard who's like texting <laughs> me like hey come on draw something and then everyone else is in this like middle ground and everybody knows how those games die is like you either lose a lot or you just kind of lose interest and you you start out your you make your move like as soon it's your as it's your turn a couple of days go by and you're like Oh, I'll look at that later. Put it in your pocket. Then like six hours later, like, all right, I'll make my move. Mm-hmm. Next move comes your turn. You're like, then it's 12 hours before you make your move. And finally, the game just sits on one person. And you look at it every once in a while. And then you finally go, well, it's been so long now. And usually that one Certainly person I'm is not me. Either. Sorry, everyone that I know. Yeah, you're the worst at it. We have, eh. I think we have actively right now three games that are your turn. Really? I guess I should go and resign those. You win by default. You've got at least Hero Academy and Letterpress. I thought I beat you at Letterpress the last time we played. I'll go back and check. Listeners, I won Letterpress. You're just saying that. Yeah. You're just saying that so everyone knows you won the first game. I, um... I, I do the editing here, so, uh... I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna cut out everything you said, except that I won Letterpress. I won. I always win. Hey, man. You do whatever Always. you got to do to make yourself feel better, okay? Awesome. 
Dude, Siba has been kicking my ass in Carcassonne for for years. years. Yeah, me too. That I guy. had to stop playing. I him played Siba he and Hero instantly murder me. So follow up to our episode with Siba. I beat him in our first game of Hero Academy. Yeah, and I don't understand how you managed that. <laughs> Bring it, I guess. I don't know. It was a really good game. Um, he beat me in the second one pretty handedly, so I'll give him that. We didn't have a third because I think one of us did exactly what I was just talking about. It just kind of drifted away. He's a brutal, brutal murderer, that guy, Siba. Do you guys play, have you guys ever played any of the um, uh, augmented reality games on iOS? Have you no. guys ever tried those out? You know, just the other day I was I was scrolling through my Twitter and uh, Farhad Manju <laughs> said something like, remember augmented reality, guys? And I was like, oh yeah, that was a real big thing for about uh, two or three years. And I haven't heard a thing about it in the last year or two. Have, have you played any augmented reality games lately that have done anything interesting with it? Well, um, yesterday or the day before, Ingress, which is a Google Android game, just opened up to iOS. And it's this weird game where you're basically fighting two different factions of humanity and you're running around collecting, getting portals in the real world. And I signed up for it and then instantly got like 18 in-item games to join like this thriving Chicago community of people who spend every lunch break grabbing these portals finding people walking around in your building collecting portals like signing it seems very odd i haven't really seen any take on um any life of their own but i mentioned it to three people in my office and two of them had played it and i was shocked because it seemed like the secret underground society of google maps you know it's like geocaching like you never actually meet people in the real world and then suddenly you do I did geocaching. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's briefly. one of those game concepts that, you know, I heard a lot about, but never actually played any games that really use that as a concept. Uh, these, you know, location-based games that kind of use your device's GPS coordinates or Wi-Fi networks that you're attached to or or any of the other sort of unique pieces of data that your your device has access to. And I always kind of thought that's something that, Sounds like a really cool idea on paper, but I don't know how actually fun it would end up truly being. Um, did you actually have fun playing it? I had fun playing it. It, I think they will catch on when they stop draining your battery so incredibly badly. In a, I played it for about 30 minutes, and I went down 40%. Wow, that's really surprising. It was really shocking. Um, I think that's because, I mean, it's also new to iOS, so they probably don't have all the kinks worked out yet. Mm. But um, I think that their augmented reality games so far have only worked when they have a social component. When people are Mm. meeting outside the world, when people see other people involved. Because if I wasn't in downtown Chicago playing this game, there'd be no way I would have played it past the first 30 seconds. Mm. Yeah, I think that those are the sorts of like ideas that were really, really big around like 2006 through 2008. I remember when the 3DS came out that 
you know, it had the built, it has the built-in cameras. So it had the, you know, quote unquote AR cards that you could do the augmented reality camera games that made it look kind of as if little characters were kind of sort of sitting near you kind of sort of. And, um, it also has the, uh, you know, it has Wi-Fi, of course, and it has the street pass mechanic where it picks up on people that are near you and exchanges bits of information from your game with their game. And all of those have ended up kind of seeming like, you know, virtual boy or, um, any of the other kind of, wow, that's cool. And how does it actually improve my game experience kind of thing? So I, I wonder if any of those are kind of due for a second, uh, a second try now that we're getting better technology and things like Oculus Rift are improving the, uh, the immersion of things like that. I I wonder if it's, if those were just too early and then we're going to start seeing those come around again. I don't think it's going to happen until it's something that's more than looking at a tiny viewfinder in your hand. It's going to have to be something that intercepts your vision more than staring at your iPhone. I, I, that's why I've never, all these games, I've tried different ones. Mm-hmm. And even like I have played, you know, have you guys done anything with the Sphero? Yes. Yeah, it's, a little bit. So it like there's augmented reality games in that where you, are controlling the Sphero with an iPad and it like creates little monsters and you have to run over. And even that it's like augmented reality doesn't work when I'm stare when I'm so obviously staring at a screen, at least to me. And so there has to be something, a next level of technology for me, at least to be able to buy into it because I've tried them where I look through my camera and I see like a horde of monsters coming or whatever. And I just feel like I'm playing a game that, pasted an image in the background you know it, it it has the word augmented reality doesn't feel like what's actually happening mm-hmm. yeah, that gives I it think- too much credit at the moment <laughs> well something like google ingress actually sounds like it is kind of trying for something a little more a little more like the fun of checking in on foursquare and a little less like the weirdness of trying to look through your camera lens at a card with a qr code on it yeah, yeah it's, it's trying to do more. And, and I think that if anyone's going to crack this nut, I, I think it actually will be some kind of TV or movie tie-in because they're already doing so many you know, alternate reality gaming um, communities like The Dark Knight for the launch did something. Like, it, the next step is to do something that ties in heavily with an app. Um, hmm. and yeah, that makes sense. So it's like Little Brother, that Cory Doctorow book. There's, there's going to be some kind of game that has real world consequences. And the only way I can think of enough people getting excited about it is if it ties into a TV show. It would be a TV show would be perfect because, you know, you do a movie and that property is finished. But Mm -hmm. if it was something ongoing, like a television show, you could have some interplay back and forth. And I could see that really being a, uh, uh, yeah, I totally get that. That sounds amazing. So, yeah, I think we are still going to see some really interesting innovation in terms of games on mobile platforms, iOS, Android, and uh, and who knows what's coming down the line. Someday soon we may be playing games on our smartwatches or our Google Glass or our Oculus Rift headsets. I know I'm going to buy one of those day one and never take it off and you won't see me for years. So we'll really be able to podcast then. Oh, yeah. Well podcasting in 3d i think uh i think we're i think we're coming up on a on a new period of innovation we're going to start seeing some amazing new things but yeah 
I kind of want to leave it with, if that's the the future of iOS, then um, do you think that iOS is, I think we're going to look back on uh, today's iOS gaming platform uh, and, and Android and other mobile games that like, like we do the same way that we look back on the games of the 1980s and nineties, uh, you know, as these classics that we can go back to and hold up as a, um, an experience that's still worth having today, or, or is there something uniquely ephemeral about the app store and its, uh, and the platform? I believe that smartphones and these big screens that we carry around with each, with ourselves may just be gone in too quick a time for it to become this like because like looking back at a nintendo is essentially we're doing the same thing now with like a playstation 4 or whatever it's just better technology i think that we still haven't exactly hit the nail on the head for what our mobile devices are going to be i firmly believe that smartphones could be gone in 10 years or so where we're going to have something even smaller or something more attached to ourselves that will hmm. replace the need to carry around a big block in your pocket. I think you're crazy. I think we're always going to have a place for pieces of glass that show pictures, whether it's a smartphone or not is a good question. But Well, that's what I mean. Like if it's a watch or if it's whatever, I think that this current format that everybody has one like it is now or you know, most people have one, I think that could change. And I think that could change just, I mean, five years ago, it didn't exist. Do you think it's going to, or, okay, maybe more like seven or so. Do you think it's going to last for 20, 30 years that we all have smartphones? Well, I think the bigger risk to history for iPhone gaming is that unlike, I mean, I still have an N64. That sucker probably still works. I don't have my first iPod Touch. I don't have my iPhone 4. People will, when they upgrade, they get rid of the devices. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of games that were created at the birth of the, the, the advent of the store. Like, I'm thinking of, I played a game called Sword and Poker. It was like an RPG poker game. Oh, I remember that game, yeah. It disappeared from the App Store. They stopped supporting it. They pulled it. You can't download it anymore. They've just re-released it. But, um, you know, I'm, you mentioned that Seuss hadn't been updated since 2011, it's going to be similar to the older computer games that people can't play anymore unless they're going to really invest in the software. So mm-hmm. the history of iPhone gaming is almost at risk because unless you're an Angry Birds and you're going to have a sequel, they're just going to disappear. These experiences aren't ones that people are going to keep around. They don't feel treasured. Exactly. It's a problem because you know even even with old computer games, you know, they can be copied. Uh, emulators eventually crop up. I can go back and play... a. Uh, an Apple II game or a game for the original Macintosh on modern hardware today. But because of the way that the platform is designed, uh, there's no way for me to do that with an iOS game. And I, I don't see that ever changing, at least not without some changes to the way that iOS works. You know, there's, there's, never, there's never likely to be a place that you can go to download a iOS game from 2004, or well, no, excuse me, 2008 or so, um, and play it on a modern device. Because in order to play on any kind of modern device, it has to have maintenance updates, and somebody's got to perform those, and it's just not going to be economical for like 98% of the games that are out mm-hmm. there on the platform today to be continually updated to run on modern hardware. I loved Monument Valley. I loved, you know, I loved Leo's Fortune, all these games. I don't see myself in like five, 10 years being like, oh man. I'm really Jones into play some Monument Valley. 
you well, know, maybe not for you, but think about it this way. I, that's how I felt about the Game Boy Advance when I, I bought I had a Game Boy Advance when I was a kid and I essentially I don't even know I, I threw away half of the stuff I had. I sold some of it. I lost a lot of it. Um, but that was a defining thing for me at a certain point. And, you know, the Game Boy before that. And now that I'm an adult, I think back on those with a lot of fondness. But I have some recourse to that. I can go back and get that stuff on eBay today. And it still runs the same way it did before. But there are kids growing up today for whom the iPhone and the iPad, those are their generation's Game Boy. You know, that's that's the dominant game playing platform for most of the most of the kids who are in your class who are saying that they love Minecraft, a lot of them are probably playing Minecraft on an iPad. And that may be a huge defining thing for them. And in 10 years, when those kids uh, want to go back and experience the games that they loved, uh, you know, when they were 11 or, or 13 or however old they are, they, how are they going to do that? They may have no opportunity to do that at all. I don't know if Minecraft is the best example because that is also a port of a of a game you know it's designed on another platform but i think they're being raised in a in an environment where gaming is everywhere it's easily accessible it's cheap if not free and it's throwaway so i don't necessarily see these kids being raised on ios games not like sure maybe some of like some of the bigger like angry oh i remember when i was a kid and angry birds was huge but these like smaller fun games that you play for a week or two and then forget because with us and I'm not this isn't like whether it's better or not I'm not claiming that way we did it was better than the way they're doing it but with the older consoles you got this game and that was the only game you might have for like three months and so you played it more than anything you'd ever played these iOS games it's like oh that was fun delete let me get mm -hmm. another one. So the way that we get attached to them is entirely different. I can see your point that they might be attached to playing games on iPads and things like that. I could totally see, yeah, like 10, 15 years from now, like let me bust out the old iPad and try to do it. But I don't know that the games themselves are going to hold a whole lot of weight. iOS games themselves. Hmm. I hope that for some games you're wrong because I, I, yeah. I'd love to think that there are experiences on that level being created on ios today and on and on other platforms like it like android but um i don't yeah i i can't say you're wrong i think you're right i think yeah. people people aren't connecting with well kids i should probably be more specific i don't think kids are connecting with a single game in quite as strong a way as they did when we were kids because there's so much more variety and so many more opportunities to try stuff well, you were forced to you yeah. bought a game and even if it sucked you're like well <laughs> I've I have got no this. more money. Yeah, yep. that's my game for the year. Yeah, or you know, I don't know if you guys did, like renting games. You'd rent it. Oh, so much from from the grocery store, video store, or whatever, and you'd have it for the weekend. You're like, this is what I've got for the weekend. No matter how shitty it is or how hard it is, this is what I'm going to play now. And myself included in this, you play a game, and in this, you're like immediately, oh man, this is fun. It's like pff, delete. <laughs> this is too hard yep. delete and never play again literally never thinking about this game again you know yeah so it's just a different gaming environment and again i don't i'm not saying one way is better or not because it's pretty sweet now that you could be like this game sucks and you'd stop playing it and you play a game that doesn't suck 
Whereas we were like grinding away and like yeah. trying to find the games that didn't suck. Part of and- this whole show's whole concept is that I I, I feel freer now to um, yeah. to jump into shorter game experiences and enjoy them and get as much as I want out of them and then stop. Yeah. Um, but I do think that we're uh, we're also losing something. It's a, it's a yeah. kind of an interesting time, and I'm really uh, I wonder what our what our uh, our kids someday are going to think about video games and what that landscape is going to look like. Well, I just really think we're, it's too early into this medium, even though I know iPhones and all that have been, or smartphones have been out for several years now. I don't think that they've, we're, we're there yet. And I don't know how long they're going to be around as they are now to really have any idea of what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many people who've never played iPhone games that levels last under, you know, that, that are more than five minutes long. Like there are a lot of people who are playing just the Angry Birds. Maybe they'll play threes, you know, back in the day, if they might play drop seven. If they're lucky, they're playing threes. Um, yeah. but they're, they're playing such micro experiences that, you know, they haven't but even touched the iceberg. The, the great thing about these systems though, is that the people who are just playing Angry Birds and just playing these, probably would have just been not playing video games at all if it wasn't for the iPhone. So it's great that totally true. Gaming is everywhere now. And that's great. Like everybody is a gamer to some extent. And physical controls and all of the things that, you know, that the iPhone lacks that sometimes we think, oh, this is a great, you know, uh, weakness of the platform are actually a huge strength in some of those sort of new domains. It's the same way that the Wii brought new people into video games. The iPhone has done that times 10. It's brought people into playing games that would never consider themselves gamers and would never have have picked up a controller no matter how it looked. But yeah. they will play a game on their iPhone for hours and enjoy it. And that's a good thing. That is a net gain for humanity that, you know, video games yeah. are able to create joy in new <laughs> ways. Mention, I talked with, kids. Oh yeah. I talked to, with my mom about games on the iPhone. She plays games and she's probably never actually picked. I you know I had game systems all throughout my childhood. I don't think she ever picked one up with her own hands. Like, and she plays games on her. Except iPhone when she was now. cleaning up after your ass. Yeah, well, of course, but you know what I mean? So it, it definitely brings people in and I can have these conversations about great iPhone games with her. And it's like she would never have played video games until this this platform. So I think it's great. And I don't want to sound fatalistic about it. I just the transient nature of technology, especially right now, I have no idea or really any belief that this this platform is going to be as it is now for a long enough time for like 10 year olds to have an iPhone still when they're like 25 and be like, let me try to download that old game. Yeah, it'll be like it'll be like, let me check my brain implant and see if I can, <laughs> you know, I just hope I won't be having but. to uh, to go on eBay in 15 years and buy a vintage iPhone 5S in order to play threes. Yeah, like still has iOS 7 installed. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today because I think this is is a platform that I know we're all super passionate about. I love the iPhone. I love Android. Speaking of which, we didn't even really mention, um, 
practically all of the games that we've discussed today and with uh, particularly Leo's Fortune are available on Android as well as on iOS. Leo's Fortune just came out on Android. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wacky uh, YouTube trailer they just put out was to celebrate their Android launch and congratulations to the developers of Leo's Fortune on their launch on a brand new platform. I know it was a long time coming and uh, from everything that I've read on the internet, not being an Android gamer myself, I don't have one to check, but uh, from everything that I've heard, the Android version of Leo's Fortune is just as much of a quality experience as uh, as the iOS version. And uh, Android need, needs more quality experiences like that. So thanks a lot to the developers of Leo's Fortune for that. Um, and thanks to our listeners for joining us this week. And uh, of course, you can follow our show on Twitter. We are at underscore short game. Uh, of course, you can also check us out on our website, www.theshortgame.net, where you can listen to our great back catalog of episodes. If you missed our episode on the other set of Apple Design award-winning games, that's a gem you can go back and listen to and catch up on all the other games that won design awards this year. And I think we're probably going to try to make a habit of doing this every year. I think that uh, the Apple Design Awards are a great time to uh, to focus on what makes this platform so unique and hopefully by next year we'll be hearing about all the amazing new things that the new additions to the platform are going to allow um nate where can people keep up with you uh you can follow me on twitter at nate stl awesome and uh don't forget to plug your other podcast and other projects thank you uh i co-host a podcast particularly focused on the St. Louis Cardinals, the baseball team. So I know that's a very niche, but if you are into them, uh, listen to it. It's called Talking About Birds. And I'm also going to plug my friend's uh, Let's Play channel. It's called Game Plus, and it's hilarious. If you're into those things, they do it better than anyone I've seen. Two of the funniest people I know. They are excellent. And uh, Laura, uh, any pl- project you want to plug? Uh, sure. I'm writing for a web series that's going to be shooting in August and September called Space Happens. Um, we had a pretty successful Kickstarter that uh, got featured on io9. Um, wow. So, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I have the finale script due next week. So, hopefully, it doesn't suck. You can blame me if the finale sucks at the first season. I will. Um, um, you can also follow me on Twitter, uh, Laura J. Nash. L-A-U-R-A-J-N-A-S-H. Boring, it's just my name. Hey, that's how I roll too. You can follow me on Twitter at Reagan K, and I spell that the wacky, uh, unique way that my parents saddled me with. I'm R-A-Y-G-A-N-K, or Ray Gank if you prefer, on Twitter. All right, so thanks so much, and uh, catch us back next week for another episode of The Short Game. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? What? I'm 80. Oh. Hey, you asked for it. That was that was quality. That's, that's I, great. I give that two dad thumbs up. You're welcome. Never.
I'll uh, step sure. away for a second. Should I okay. stop? Re- I feel like you, I'm still Yeah, recording. you can stop recording. I, I, I should stop recording as well. Here, I'll hit stop. Everybody hit stop.